helping clients meet their financial goals and prepare for the future. Schroders actively and responsibly manages investments. The world is forever changing, and we understand the need to adapt and evolve in line with what matters most to our clients. Hello, this is Lukia Giftapulu, and I'm joined today by John Hudson, who's a manager for the Premier Mighton UK Growth Fund. Hi, John. Hi, Lukia. Uh, so you, you've had a pretty good year so far. You've, you've performed far above your sector average in, in UK equities, which, which is not the most lot uh, sector. I'd, I'd like to start uh, this conversation by just picking on two of your uh, top 10 holdings, which is uh, Boohoo and, and Rio Tinto. Both have caused quite a lot of controversy um, of late by being involved, one in, in the modern slavery um, saga and the other one destroying some Aboriginal caves in, in Australia. So can you tell me if you have any concerns uh, about those two names in your portfolio? Yeah, so we, we obviously have um, you know, quite severe concerns for, for both cases and it's, it's something certainly we're closely looking at. Um, you know, we're, we're both companies um, we're looking to engage with them really um, you know our favorite way of dealing with these issues is, is to work with the companies so that they end up becoming better as have, a concept. Have you, have you engaged with them at all uh, so far because last week we heard UK uh, sorry Bailey Gifford UK Growth Trust did have they, they said they did have a lot of conversations with them because of, of serious concerns have you actually engaged in, in, in conversation with the management teams uh, recently? Yeah, so we, we've engaged with Boohoo directly um, post the, um, the the Sunday Times story um, regarding the Leicester supply chain, um, and they, you know they need to satisfy us that you know change is is afoot. Um, we think in in Boohoo's case in particular, um, we're, we're quite satisfied of the you know what they're trying to do. So they. Pit in an independent report. Um, you know, the independent report came back with a lot of recommendations, um, which they're going to implement in full. Um, you know, they've hired a new um, head of responsible sourcing um, from AB Foods. Um, they've employed some new non-executive directors, um, Sean McCabe of, of Trainline, who we know well from being an investor in Trainline, so we think he's a good addition to the board. And I think it was this week or last week they announced uh, Sir Brian Leveson was going to provide an independent oversight into their agenda of change. So we think the company is making good, solid progress. How, how easy is it for you to, to actually get in touch with them and, and, and have these conversations? Do you have direct access to the management teams? Yes, yeah. Um, in Boohoo, it's a lot easier because um, they're a slightly smaller company than um, Rio Tinto. Um, but we have, you know, we've been invested in Boohoo for quite a long time now. So we are familiar with the contacts um, at that company that we need to speak to. Um, so we've got a pretty good um, direct line with them. But, but Rio Tinto is, is not as easy from, from what you're saying is, is what comes out. Yeah, well, Rio Tinto being a, a very multinational large cap, um, investor is is tricky, um, but you know we can still deal directly. They got a good investor relations team, um, so they often act as a bit of an in between between the senior management and the and the, the likes of us as investors. I mean, it's quite important to stress that that the, the uh, 
Premier Might on UK Growth Fund is not an ESG fund by description, but it's, it's interesting because you also run the, the firm's um, ethical fund. So your, your sense of what, what should and should not be in a portfolio from, you know, from, from a more sustainability perspective should be uh, relatively heightened uh, co- compared to, uh, to other people. So, you know, at, at which point would you say enough is enough and, and you know, we're, we're taking you out? Yeah, I think if there if there's no progress being being done, and you can see the company isn't looking to change their ways, um, I, I think that is a case of enough is enough. Um, in the ethical case, uh, boo, the, the the boohoo's problems with the supply chain just doesn't meet the ethical policy. But as long as they can, I think for boohoo, the the big opportunity for them is to go from being a laggard in responsible. Um, sourcing to actually being a, a real leader in, in, on an ESG front. Um, it's a it's a good opportunity for them to do so. I mean, we're trying to encourage them to do so. I think they've realised it, and you know, hopefully they're going to try and grab that with, with both hands. But but it's it's not yet time for Boohoo and Rio Tinto to just uh, you know uh, leave your your top ten holdings. No, as long as they can continue showing progress on these fronts, um, you know, we have to combine it clearly with the investment case. Um, but we're quite happy to to hold them. Um, you know, they've just got to continue to show they're improving. So, so moving a bit to your to your other holdings, it hasn't been a very good time for anyone. But UK equities have been, you know, more, more hit than other sectors, like for example, US tech and uh, that space. What has been, how, how has your portfolio changed during, you know, since the beginning of the year? So basically in the, in, in the past 11 months, have you made big changes to adapt to what was happening and um, what have these been? Yeah, so we've been, we've actually been more active than we'd usually be. Um, obviously, the, the outbreak of the virus um, changed the sort of prospects for a lot of growth and companies and sectors. So, you know, I think we're trying to stick loyal to our process, which is to find companies that fit in the sweet spot of having high quality, good growth and at the right valuation. And so where we felt there were certain companies where because of the, the pandemic, um, we just had less confidence in the growth, for instance, and it, we couldn't justify the valuation. We would look to switch those out into companies where we just had a lot more confidence. Could you give us a couple of examples as to, you know, a couple of companies that, that you actually sold completely out of during the crisis? Yeah, so, I mean, we recently sold Trainline, actually. Um, so we really like Trainline as a company. I think it's, it's got a great app, a great management team. Um, but it's very reliant on train passenger numbers. And because of the trends in working from home, and, you know, like me and you right now doing a podcast, but perhaps you might do it face to face. We can't, it's, it's a bit more finger in the air on predicting train passenger numbers going forward. We just don't have a strong conviction on what their growth levels are going to be like to justify the current level of valuation. So we'd much rather deploy it into to other companies. Um, so so what, what, where did you put your money when you sold Trainline? So when we sold Trainline, we rotated that one into a company called Gear for Music, which is a UK small cap company. It sells, it's an online retailer that sells musical instruments. Um, so it's in a bit of a niche space uh, where the likes of Amazon aren't necessarily interested in playing because it's 
low volume and, and quite bulky. So they, they've done very well out of the lockdown. But as a consequence, you know, it's not just a, a straightforward, they benefited from lockdown and that's it play because they've got a, a great trust pilot rating. So a lot of their customers are discovering them for the very first time, most likely to use them again going forward. Um, and there's a lot of extra um, services this company can can add on. So we think that's a very nice company where we've got strong conviction in the company's growth rate, but it's actually trading on a significant discount to a company like Trainline. Is there anything else that you uh, you bought by selling Trainline or, you know, another holding that you felt was was not fit for purpose anymore? Yeah, so we, we did own some of the large cap oil names um, in the sector. We think as a as a consequence of the pandemic, their long-term investment case is, is looking uh, less positive. I mean, we just don't think they were ever going to get to the return on invested capital that we, we so sorely look for in our investments. Um, and so we, we continue looking to, to pit them into more attractive sectors where, you know, we, we think there is a, a, a stronger likelihood of the company generating the, the you know, aligning itself with the process that we require. What are the best sectors to be right now? So it's very difficult to answer short term because there's so much uncertainties in terms of what the outcome from Brexit, um, the vaccine, um, will there be another lockdown, for instance? Um, but, you know, when you look at our fund, we have a very balanced fund. That's the way we like to manage. Um, so we don't like to be reliant on any macro view, a political view to, to, to deliver our our alpha, if you like, we, we much prefer to to rely on our bottom-up stock picking. Um, but if you look at what subsector for us is the highest weighting, it'd be the video game sector. So although in, in the last month we might have taken, we trimmed a little bit of profits and sort of rotated into more value cyclical areas. You, you have, I think Games Workshop is, is one of your largest holdings. Is there, Do you have any other names in that space? Um, in, so Games Workshop is a very sort of niche tabletop board game rather than a video game player. So it's actually our, our largest holding is called Frontier Developments and that, that is a mm-hmm. video game publisher. Um, you know, we really like that stock because although in the short term it looks like it's on a high P rating, um, the, its destiny is, if you like, in its own hands because it's been investing over the past two years in employing uh, new developers into the company. Um, and they've been working on games that are yet to be released, but will be released in the next one to two years, like the uh, Formula One management game. And actually, they've done a tie-up with Games Workshop using their Warhammer franchise. So as these games get released, as, as long as Frontier make a good version of those games, which they have a very strong track record of doing so, we can see uh, um, you know, the, the growth for that company is very sort of clear for us. We have the end of the transition period at the end of this month. Nobody knows exactly what lies ahead. We might leave with a deal, we might leave without a deal. How is this going to affect your fund? Um, so, so, so like I kind of mentioned earlier, you know, we're not trying to necessarily predict a political event. It's just not our expertise. So we have that, that balanced portfolio, if you like. And so we, I don't lose too much sleep over whatever the verdict of Brexit is going to turn out to be. I suspect if it's, uh, if we agree a, a deal, we'll probably marginally outperform the, the stock market. And that's purely because we have a, 
a, a mid and small cap bias into the fund, which means we're, we're more likely to be domestically exposed than your than the international multinational large caps at the top of the market. So, you know, we saw in when there was in the general election uh, in December, the, the fund had a very good month, um, and I suspect it will be quite similar again. But you know, we would expect, for instance, even in our UK domestic exposure, we have certain sectors that will benefit, like the house building sector. Um, but should it be a negative result, that sector will likely suffer. But in, within our domestic exposure, we will have companies which actually do quite well in a, in a downturn, should that uh, happen to, to come to life, such as B&M or Gym Group, which is a low-cost gym operator. You know, sort are, you, of, so. are you ready to grab any bargains that, that you know, of, of stocks that may become battered? If you know we leave without a deal in the immediate aftermath, is there anything that you have on your wish list that you want to buy if that happens? Yeah, well, yes, there will be, and there probably might be some existing shareholdings that that end up getting caught up in a in a, in a sell off that you know presents a really good opportunity. I think for us, it's all about not trying to rely on the cycle, so that you know should some should there be a shock like a hard Brexit, it's about investing in companies that have strong balance sheets and a track record of cash flow generation. So it may have a cyclical decline, but you're, you're, you can be rest assured that your company is going to survive that cyclicality. I mean, that's a good reason why the fund has actually performed well this year is that we came into that period where we've seen the shock pandemic. Um, but because we've lined up our portfolio full of companies with strong balance sheets, they, they've actually performed quite well and haven't had to necessarily come begging to us to ask for equity equity raises to rescue the business best and worst decision in the crisis uh what has it been for you oh it's a tricky one there's always a few stocks that you sell and you think oh god why did i end up doing that um one that springs to mind is probably reach where we we sold the stock at about a pound um because we were unsure about the economic cycle at the time and I think the shares did fall to about 60p, so we thought we were geniuses back back only a few months ago, but now the shares have recovered to 140, so we're not looking so smart, the present on that trade. But um, we've obviously done very well through the pandemic, and I think you know the best decision me and Benji made was probably just in the real um, depths of March when it was a very irrational, volatile market, we just sort of stuck to our process um, and, and remain logical. And I think being code fund managers, it, it really does help. Um, you know, fund managers are human beings and can face irrational times like, like anyone else. And I think when you have somebody you can sort of speak to um, and, and sort of have a logical conversation with someone, it really helps making make sure you don't do something stupid. So, you know, in March we ended up buying, uh, I remember B&M was down 30%. And, and getting caught up in the sell-off, but actually it made no sense to us because it was deemed an essential retailer, so it was still open, so it actually should have been doing quite well while a lot of its competitors were closed. But also if, if there is a, like I said earlier, if there's a economic recession and the consumer faces a bit of a pinch on the, on the pocket, that actually they tend to um, trade more at a discount store like B&M, um, and so B&M actually tends to do quite well during periods of economic stress. So that for us seemed like a bit of a nonsense that the shares were going down. Um, we ended up making it a top three position on the fund and, and it's recovered very nicely. 
that conversation that you would have with your with uh, with your co-manager Benji or other people in the team, would you prefer to have it, you know, to, to stop you from from doing something stupid, as you said? Would you prefer to have it face to face rather than, you know, by by the digital means? Is it easier to <laughs> just the physical presence of, you know, obviously they won't physically stop you from 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 doing something, but uh, you know. It, Is it, it? Do you miss the days where you could just have the conversation with with the person just you know in the desk yeah. next to you? Yeah, I think it's it can be good for creativity sometimes. But you know, me and Benji do speak to each other on a on a obviously a very regular basis, given that, that we need to sort of run ideas past each other all the time. Um, I think other people in the office will be glad that we're not there because we we did sort of used to argue like a, an old married couple. <laughs> a lot of the time but we think that's that's a sort of key part to our process is that we both come at um, investing in stocks from different angles so I tend to be quite valuation focused in my approach and Benji's very growth focused and that often leads to a bit, a bit of a clash but um, but we think it's a, it's a sort of healthy clash and it just makes sure that we're, we're constantly sort of challenging each other's ideas and, and not getting lazy if you like in, in certain positions on the fund. John, thanks very much for joining us here at CityWire today. Thanks, Amy, Lydia. Schroders is built on 200 years of experience and expertise. We partner with our clients, constructing innovative products and solutions across private assets and alternatives, solutions, mutual funds, institutional and wealth management. By combining our commitment to active management and focus on sustainability, our strategic capabilities are designed to deliver positive outcomes. With over 5,000 talented staff across 35 locations, we are able to stay close to our clients and understand their needs.